0: A podcast One Production. Oh, that's a curly one. The big Questions. Hey, it's Adam Spencer here with a special episode of The Big Questions. I'm asking some questions of an old mate of mine. He's asking quite a few more questions of me. He's got a podcast. I've got a podcast. Let's have a listen. Will Anderson.
1: Hello and welcome to Philosophy with Will Anderson. I am Will Anderson from the title of the podcast. And, uh, well, normally on this podcast I ask the guest who they are, but I think uh, today's guest might have a point of order before they get to who they are. Or maybe they'll get to who they are and then raise their point of order.
0: Yes, my name's Adam Spencer uh, from the podcast The Big Questions. Uh, that you are currently a guest on, as far as I am concerned, in any proprietary sense, will uh, this is this is this is a, a, a philosophical issue. I think we have to tackle from the get go. Are you appearing on my podcast? Am I appearing on yours, or do we do we do we exist in some meta form beyond that?
1: Well, I think to our unique audiences, for whoever's listening to it, so if somebody's listening to it on the Willosophy feed, then I think that you're guesting on my podcast. However, if somebody's listening oh. to it on Adam Spencer's Big Questions feed, I think that I'm technically guesting on your podcast because otherwise we've actually stolen the other person's content.
0: Okay, and so if we were to defame someone and this was played back in court, <laughs> it, it, would de- it would depend Ooh. on who the, the person who's been defamed was listening to at the time as to who would carry the legal burden there?
1: I mean, I think it would be a case that established precedent in this matter. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As like, yeah, the, how how are things with you, mate? I've been listening to uh, big parts of your world uh, via podcasting during the whole uh, new normal lockdown. How are you getting by?
1: Uh, the new normal part of it... Um I'm okay with to a certain degree because you know when you have an entire imaginary radio station like I do, <laughs> really you're used to working a lot for no income, so that transition hasn't been as hard for me as it has been for other people. And as you know, uh, in a fashion sense, I have really been you know leaning in towards the wear your pajamas out in public. Mm. Look for a good five yeah. or ten years now, so like all all these people who are suddenly online going, oh my jeans are really uncomfortable now that I wear pajamas all the time, and I'm. Like yeah, exactly. One day you'll just get rid of all your genes.
0: Well I mean I was a I've been a professional public mathematician for twenty years, so the idea of not really coming in contact with people all that often has been a big part of my life for as long as I can remember.
1: <laughs> <laughs> What's your tip to social isolation? An expertise in mathematics and a real passion for the cryptic crossword.
0: I had I had a wonderful chat with a friend of mine who is actually uh, she does live with OCD and is particularly germ phobic, and we caught up uh, a couple of nights before it got serious lockdown in Sydney. But already it was starting. The people were starting to really moderate their behaviour, and we hopped in a lift, and I pressed the button up to the floor we were going to with my elbow and she just pointed out that she's just she has done that for 20 years and she that has always been the sensible way to interact with a button that hundreds of other people have pushed in the course of that day and she was just going about in time everyone else got their shit together with a bit of elbow punching so she was her new normal was her what has been her normal for as long as she can remember.
1: Yeah, and it is one of those things where you suddenly realise we were not washing our hands enough. We should have been washing our hands a lot more than we were already washing our hands. That has been the big revelation out of this.
0: And it's, it's it's going to be fascinating to watch the next couple of flu cycles in Australia and whether they are significantly less and whether people have yet finally got their heads around like just sneezing and sneezing on stuff and coughing and all that, and, 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 and whether people's attitudes to that have fundamentally changed or whether we get, you know, once we're allowed to go to the AFL again, we just start licking each other and, and going back on.
1: It is interesting to know what will happen. With The big one is men's bathrooms at sporting events. Men's bathrooms at sporting events have always been – and and music festivals. We've we've had our fair share of men's bathrooms at sporting events and music festivals. And if next time you go to, like, the Sydney Test match or Splendour in the Grass and you walk into the men's toilets and it smells okay, you'll know that COVID did something positive for society.
0: I I can remember we used a a Triple J talk in the lead-up to a music festival season. Uh, encouraging women in particular to start doing lots of squats and and just holding the thighs in that slightly above 90 degree position that you need when you're <laughs> going to use the porterloo. And if you it's a real beginner's mistake to just turn up on the day and think you can do that. You should be squatting and doing a bit of core muscle exercise for a good few months in advance. Then you can handle the old porta potty in absolute style.
1: Well, what you always wanted to do was get to the festival early in the day and then find a porta potty out of the way in a bit of a dark corner and whack while it was still clean and out of order sign on it and that was then your private bathroom for the rest of the day Oh, dearie me, dearie, dearie me. How are you dealing? How are you dealing with uh, the quarantine times? I'm very interested in your perspective because you're someone who a lot of us, you know, have an emotional reaction to these things and then we're trying to work out from the various opinions that are out there in science. Like what is you yeah, what is correct, what is not correct. You probably look at it from a different point of view when it comes to modelling and how you make your decisions around this. So what has it been it, like for you?
0: It has been fascinating for me. This is I said more generally, this is the first time, I think, with the sort of connected social media age we now live in, I think this is the first time... I haven't consumed much media from, like, Africa and parts of the Middle East, but all of the media I'm consuming from around the world... This is the first time that for any extended period of time, the world has only spoken about one thing. Like the moon landing probably occupied the world for a week and there were periods during World War II or whatever and 9-11 was massive news for a few days and in the States for a long time. But for the last month at least, this has been the only thing effectively that anyone in the world has spoken about. And for a maths nerd to watch just swathes of the population actually try and get their head around mathematical modelling and looking at graphs and understanding reinfection rates and seeing and looking at those two curves and going, All right, so the area under the two curves is the same, but if you squash it out, the maximum occurs later and is a lot lower. And I've had I've I've walked past people discussing exponential growth and things like that that in the past when I popped on your old stomping ground Triple M in Melbourne with our uh, Darce and Eddie Maguire and had a, about a 7 minute conversation about exponential growth and comparative doubling rates when you have got 25% reinfection versus 10% and these guys were totally engaged in the conversation and to watch people actually understand that these are not esoteric nerdy academic the this is all numbers, this is all just a giant experiment or a series of mathematical modelling experiments around the world and to see the success we've had in Australia because we really did back experts and back the numbers early compared to some places in the world where it's gone horribly askew has just been fascinating to watch.
1: So you do, you do think that we back the experts early comparatively? Yeah. Uh, is that your sense of what's going on here because it's very easy if you you know if you don't like Scott Morrison for yeah. example you know which I would probably am in that category I thought he did a terrible job with his response to the Australian bushfires and uh, you know there was all these things that he didn't do quickly enough here maybe it's the leadership of the state governments but in a general sense what do you think of the performance of the government, particularly in regard to not the politics around it, but the taking on board the advice of experts is more the area that I'm interested in. So forget whether people should Mm. get this much of a JobKeeper benefit or, you know, like, yeah. but the general, you know, consulting with doctors and experts and scientists and then trying to use that as a basis of policy. How have they done?
0: Yeah, okay, so there's two things I'd say. First of all, there is no single correct scientific slash medical position, even in the informed scientific community, even in the experts, there's a range of opinion about how hard to lock down and things like that. So there was never one single piece of advice that they had to decide, do we take this or not? And secondly, you can certainly look back at some things early on and uh, I'll still go to the footy on the weekend and shake people's hands and all that objectively at the time, that was a mistaken opinion to have but compare that to the fact that everyone in the world was getting their head around this only a couple of weeks before that the world health organization was saying some things that were now clearly patently wrong not intentionally but the whole world was on this learning curve so i think you have to assume everyone everywhere has made some mistakes. Compared to most, we've made significantly less, and that's just borne out in the numbers. People are staring at Australia's numbers going, this is unbelievable. In some ways, we were a little bit lucky. Uh, We were a couple of weeks ahead slash behind, whichever way you want to look at it, of your Italy's and things like that. So we really could see how badly wrong this could go. We're a comparatively wealthy country with a really good health system where it's assumed everyone does have the right to go to a hospital. It's not going to cost you your life savings. We're geographically reasonably dispersed in our country. And as an island nation, we can comparatively just throw up the walls and go, fuck off, no one's allowed to come. And unless you really need a reason to come to Australia, it's not that hard to convince yourself, Okay, I won't make the 24-hour flight. Think about Europe, where it would not be unusual, I'm sure, for a lot of people who work in Italy to work one day a week in Spain as part of their organ. There's people in London who drive to Paris to get cheap piss, right? Imagine how hard it is to restrict countries like that. So we had a few things in our favour, timeline, just the country we are. Geographically, we're a bit lucky. We were learning from other countries, but I... Anyone who's looking at this government and ripping into their response, is, I think, carries a bit of natural bias about that government. I, I, I think by any objective standards, they've done a good job. There was a bit of push and shove where sometimes it might have been the premiers pushing the federals to a position, but that whole coordinated response of the federal government, state governments and medical experts, mate, you could give us another 10 shots at this and I don't think we could expect to do any better.
1: So then we, is there a chance that you do so well that you cause yourself future harm down the track? Because there's no vaccine for this thing at this point. So the idea is we, we a bit in Australia, much like the GFC, I think, you know, where we didn't go into the global financial recession in the same way as most other countries, you know, first world countries in the world went into that. And so it almost still feels like in Australia, it didn't really happen. And, is there going to be a bit of a chance that we go back to business as normal or do you think there's a chance that as soon as we do go back to business as normal, there's that this could rear its ugly head again?
0: And that's that's going to be a sort of patchwork quilt of, of different situations. I do think it's going to be a long time before you can just fly from the US to Australia, get off the plane and start pashing people. Those, those sort of travel restrictions, <laughs> which is just terrible, it's just unfair, but they, they, those, those sort of travel restrictions will exist for all. And And that's one where you look back. There was a period there where we were letting people get off planes and just giving them a bit of paper going, go on, do the right thing, which was sadly misinformed. And the Ruby Princess cruise ship in, in Sydney is, is an absolute debacle and with tragic consequences. But realistically, compared to some mistakes people made in some countries, again... You know, not as bad as it could have been. So international travel has changed for the foreseeable future. But in I think in Western Australia, at the time we're recording this, you've had multiple days of no new cases. Canberra currently has no registered cases at all in the entire ACT. So without doubt, as you go back, there's going to be little flare-ups and there's going to be times where you do have to put the brakes on, maybe in a particular city or a particular industry or whatever. But if you go back in a situation where one, you've now got a really good testing regime, you can roll out where you need it. Two, you've got this app, which I would strongly recommend everyone sign up to, and I'm happy to talk about that. And three, where we have done restrictions before. So if we do need to slam on the brakes again, it's a pain in the ass and people will complain, but they know what the rules are. And, and you can go back and relive that experience. I'd still rather be in a situation where there's comparatively few people who've had it and our biggest worry is it flaring up again rather than what they've... My closest friend in the world, she lives in New York, and out her apartment window, she can see the freezer trucks that are backed up at some of the ho- uh, hospitals to serve as temporary morgues. You know, I'd, I'd take out... If, if our biggest complaint is, I'm not sure if I'm going to get to go and watch the AFL this year... Yeah, I'll, I'll take that.
1: Okay, so talk me through, firstly, the the increased testing in the sense of, you know, in sense of the numbers of this and what that means in a statistical sense, because while they're not doing widespread testing, it's still, you know, hard to get completely accurate numbers around the amount of people who have it, right?
0: Yeah, both the amount of people who have it and how lethal it is. This was the real, this yeah. was the fascinating thing to be watching. Around the world, you seem to be getting all these different death rates, um, both on a country-by-country country basis, but also on different age brackets and all sorts of things. But people, you, you couldn't get any accurate data because testing was just... In some countries, you were only being tested if you arrived at hospital and were about to die. Now, if you're t- only testing that, then obviously a really high percentage of the people who test positive then end up dying. If you're just randomly testing hundreds of thousands of people in the street then you're going to get far more accurate data of how much is in the population. We seem to be getting to a position of being able to, you know, test people reasonably quickly and accurately, which is a really important part going forward if you think there's going to be a flare-up, of of being able to monitor it, um, contain it, know who has to be quarantined. If you get this app going and then you reach out to people and say, you've come in contact with someone, come and be tested right now, please. There was a really interesting one. There seems to be an indication of the presence of, of this virus Uh, in wastewater, uh, sewage and things like that in advance of numbers flaring up in a community. So there's some serious, Peter Collignon and people like that are talking seriously about we should be monitoring sewage outlets. And you can do that sort of thing you could do on a sort of much more local, regional, city by city, state by state basis. So you may well have a situation where wastewater is being monitored and you get an indication in advance of a flare up and one city has to go back to restrictions for a few weeks and things like that. But, again, much more a situation I'd rather be in than a lot of things you're seeing around the world.
1: Okay. Well, let's talk about then the app. Yeah. Because what does that mean in that regard? And are you just a plant from the bloody government who yeah. wants to monitor us everywhere and, like, you know, find out what we're doing and what uh, we're up to and use it to bloody control us, man?
0: I was having a chat with my good mate, Reese Muldoon. He's doing a little Instagram show um, during ISO called the ISO Late. Up night show and I had a chat with him and I ran through four reasons I would support the app. Uh, first of all, you're talking anonymous proximity data, Bluetooth data. It's not location. It's not tracking. It's not naming. And you have to consent to give up that or access that data anyway. Secondly, privacy is a right, uh, like anything that's often in issue comes and goes, if you look at the freedom of association, the right to movement, okay, if you look at how much of a hit that right has taken, if you're talking at the moment only 10 people can go to a funeral, then freedom of association can put its hand up and go, we're doing a fair bit of the fucking heavy lifting here, guys. Maybe some of you other rights and freedoms could, (laughs) you know, if, 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 if only 10 people can go to a funeral and people are really worried about the privacy aspect of anonymous Bluetooth data, I, I think we're already making concessions. Uh, third one, and this is really interesting, we've already given up that right to privacy. If you test positive tomorrow, they don't just go, well, off you go, old digger. They sit you down and try and work out where have you been, who have you been with, who could you have given this to, how do we contact those people? So already they do effectively as much tracing as they can. And I can only imagine if you tested positive to this and then someone was saying, well, you might have given it to X, Y, Z, where have you been over the last couple of weeks and you're sitting there racking your brain, was that Thursday or Friday? Was it five minutes or ten minutes? God, was that where I was? Did I sneeze there? I can remember sneezing that day, Um, blah, blah. I think you'd give anything to have. Oh, mate, actually, if you tap, tap this button on your phone, it'll be able to tell you, us immediately, everyone who we have to contact. I think you'd probably give anything for that luxury as opposed to that imposition. And my fourth point, given what we already have done with our privacy in this digital age, the only people I will listen to complaining about this or who I think would have a right to not take up the app would be someone who's never used Facebook, never purchased anything online, has never used free hotel Wi-Fi and is not a member of Woolworths Rewards or Qantas Frequent Flyer or anything else the sort of stuff that people have already consented to in terms of privacy. I just don't see this as even a ripple compared to the social benefit it could give if enough people sign up.
1: Well, that's my issue with it because I have an issue around privacy that advertisers and companies have taken from us and genuinely against our will and what the ramification of that is in the future in regard to how our decisions are being manipulated by advertisers and marketers. You know, there's been a myriad of studies that show how effectively they can tweak what's in your Facebook feed. We all understand the idea of targeted advertisements now and there are versions of that happening all over the place. Oh, mate, I I I, have a
0: problem. I purchased one bondage mm. gimp suit online eight years ago. And yeah. I mean, dudes, I don't I've lost a bit of weight, but I don't need a new one. Stop hitting me up with the ads.
1: Uh, yeah, it is actually quite awkward to go to a seamstress and ask her to take in your bondage <laughs> gimp suit though. You're just like I used to be a bit bigger. Yeah. I've actually got enough for not only for myself to be a GIMP, but I'm gonna put on a GIMP trainee yeah. with all this extra material that I had left over.
0: Yeah. Um, on, on, on the job keeper allowance, I've got a GIMP apprentice and I really want to hold on to him.
1: Yeah, I get it, internet. You know that I have bad posture, but I don't need one more <laughs> wacky pseudo-scientific thing no. that's gonna shock me if I slump. Yeah. Um But we've given like you said, I am worried about those things, but it's so incredible to me that we sign up to all that and we don't have that conversation every day about how we're yeah. being manipulated and yet something comes along like this where there is a genuine sense of this is going to help people and people are really angry about this one. It was very much the same idea that we weren't going to have the Australia card in Australia because yeah. that was a massive invasion of our privacy. But like you said, everyone's got a Maya 1 card and everyone's got a Qantas card and everybody's like you know got their Facebook turned on and they're actually complaining about the government stealing all their information on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram.
0: I, 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 love, I love how quickly we we change and adapt to new things. So think, think a month ago when there was justifiably real fear in Australia that we could go down the Italy route, we could have what's happening in New York. We really didn't know if our health system was going to be able to handle it. And the government was in the early stages of, trying to get their head around it. And there was no confidence that they were going to get it right. And there was a real sense of panic and fear for a while there. And people are, you know, punching on over toilet paper, right? So remember that we were in that state. Imagine if that stage, someone had taken you to a sign and said, oh, look, in a month, there's going to be an app that's pretty harmless in terms of privacy and would really, really help. But people will draw a line in the sand at the app. You're saying, what are you talking? We don't even know if we're going to be here in a month. For God's sake. So I think it's great that we've now got – it's cute that we've got the luxury of arguing over this app, but I would be absolutely supportive of it.
1: What about what it says about – I mean, and this is – what it says about human beings that in times like this – I don't know, our relationship with society and our relationship with rules. Because it seems to me that constantly these rules have been in place, and I guess this is why all rules are in place to a certain degree, was because some dickheads just fucked it up for everybody else. Like at every level of what these laws have to be, we don't actually need the laws if there wasn't those dickheads who then fucked it up for everybody. If everybody was like, hey, you can go to the beach for a swim, but just don't hang out at the beach and be near other people. If a bunch of fuckwits then didn't just go to the beach and hang out with other people. Yep. We wouldn't have needed to bring in that no beach rule.
0: Yep. I I, I saw one and I, I I tweeted, so I live uh, sort of 90 minutes away from Sydney is what we call the central coast, which some people confuse and think like Byron Bay. And that's sort of halfway between Sydney and Newcastle. And I'm, I'm not far from a beach there that doesn't get much traffic. And over one of the Easter weekends, a lot of people came up and were clearly airbnb And I let off a bit of steam on Twitter and then had people... You know, TV stations ringing me and wanting, wanting. would you volunteer to come on and be the grumpy old man and, you know, <laughs> dude, not my gig, but, and the point I made at the time about that was, you know, it's, it's selfish and all that and we've got a small community there and we've got a couple of restaurants that are doing takeaway and the community have backed in and we're really looking after these guys and we need one dickhead to come up and sneeze on Franco at the pizza place, Lady Copa, great pizzas, and, uh... And and that ruins it for everyone, you know? And that place might never open again. But the point I made was, what sort of a message... If you're... What sort of a message as a parent are you sending to your kids if for the two weeks beforehand all they've heard the Prime Minister say was, stay home for Easter? All they've heard the Premier, the medical experts, every newsreader, every piece of media they're consuming is saying, stay home for Easter and Dad says, look, hop in the car, we're going on a holiday, you're either saying to the kids, look, if, if the Prime Minister and Premiers are medical experts and everyone is ever telling you something, obviously that's optional, or you're saying, well, no, those rules are for everyone else, but not for me and my kids. Obviously, I was I was really stunned by that for a couple of weekends there.
1: How did you talk to your children about what was going on? Because you have to talk to them, and they're at an age where... Yeah, there are some kids, I guess, you, you probably, they're at an age where you don't really have to explain that much about what's going on. You just have to, you're going to have to stay at home for a bit longer. We're going to do some school at home, but you don't tell them the details, but your, your kids are at an age where they understand what's going on in the world, but not adults, you know, so yeah. they are at a time where, how did you talk to them about what but was going on?
0: It, it was, well, we did a lot of talk about exponential growth and uh, graphs. <laughs> and look, in hindsight, we've we've acknowledged that some people have made mistakes. I'll admit, I probably probably went a little bit too in detail about the epidemiological <laughs> side, and I set some you know, some optional homework that wasn't really optional. Uh, no, if, but it was, and again, yeah. So my girls are fifteen and twelve, and I won't be. I won't be that parent who just talks about his kids all the time, but. When they get to an age where you can see things like this through their eyes and they're old enough to make some observations, it really is interesting, and we had a great chat about germs and how it all happens and transfer and, and, and the maths underneath it and all that. But my daughter, the older one, Ellie, said just the other day, and this was the most interesting thing she said during all of it. she said, "Dad, where, this whole thing, where my kids will ask me about this, won't they?" Where?" we're sort of living through history at the moment, aren't we? And to see her suddenly, really, and she said, this is the, I think this is the first thing in my life that I could imagine my kids asking me about 30 years from now, what was it like to blah, blah, blah? And so she had that sense of this isn't just something that's affecting you and your school. This is affecting everyone literally around the world. This is affecting dad's best friend, Yana, over in New York. This is affecting someone's mum who can't come out there. This is affecting your nan who we've got a Skype call who can't go and visit her in the nursing home. My mum did her first ever Zoom call the other day with me and Ellie from her sort of retirement nursing lodge.
1: And Well, and- that's, a, that's a, that makes her a step ahead of us because we tried to do a Zoom call today <laughs> and now we're on FaceTime my, on the phone because I couldn't get reception.
0: I'll tell you what, when my mum... When my mum successfully took off the mute button at her end so we could hear her, there was a sense of excitement where we were and where she was that I think it's the closest I'll come to getting an insight as to what it would have been like to be at Mission Control Houston when the Eagle landed and Armstrong walked down and set foot on the moon. We had that sense of accomplishment on my mum's part.
1: How, I mean, has that been present in your thoughts? I mean, she's in a category where, you know, people are in obviously more danger of this disease. Does it add, and is that kind of where your thoughts go to when they turn to, you know, the more scary side of what we're going through?
0: Yeah. And and the reality is the overwhelming bulk of people who've died are, are, are quite old and have died in some cases as much with this thing as from it. But every one of those stories, every one of those people, every one of those is a, is a human story with people around them who love them and the thought of those people living in fear. My mum's pretty chilled about that sort of stuff and uh, she's always had a fairly level calm. Um, the place they're at is doing their best, looking after them. Everyone's being really careful and and that's the way it goes. So uh, her, her stoicism through it's probably made me feel pretty chilled about it. How are your mum and dad? They're at least living in the middle of absolute nowhere. I presume it hasn't cut a swathe through Hayfield.
1: Uh, It hasn't cut a swathe through that area and it hasn't, look, hasn't cut a a whole lot out of my dad's social schedule. You know, it's (laughs) like farming is pretty much social isolation at the best of the times. (laughs) In fact... You know, often that's the downside of being a dairy farmer, but in times like this, it tends to be the upside. Um, but we lost, I mean, my mum lost her mum during yeah. this time, and so we weren't able to have, you know, a proper funeral for her, and I wasn't able to go and see her. In fact, I wasn't able to go to the funeral because of the 10-person the restriction and the restrictions on travelling, and that was pretty challenging. I mean, my nan was 97, but yeah. again, so like in that, you know, economist's view of the world where they talk about the idea that the old people have lived a good life and, you know, the rest of us can go on and we can lose a few oldies, you know, that argument yeah. that I'm, I'm very, very much paraphrasing, but the, the kind of they've lived a good life, the rest of us need to get on with our life argument. Well, what I would just put as a counter to that, well, another counter to that is that when my nan died, I would have loved to go to the funeral. Yeah. You know, I, like she was a big part of my life for all of my life and I understood why I couldn't and that was our sacrifice, you know, on behalf of, you know, the safety of everybody else in the same way as everybody's making those sacrifices through work and and through going out in public and all these sort of things. But it's not just the idea of old people dying, but it's the idea that they have to die and then not be celebrated and their life celebrated in the way that, it, it should have been and what perhaps lasting ramifications that'll have in regards to closure and things like that. I mean, mm. I'm glad they still had a church service and a funeral service, even though it was 10 people, just so that my mum and her sister and, you know, those very close people could at least in a, you know, in a mental sense go, okay, my mother is dead. We have had this service. We can move on.
0: On on the topic of celebration, however, I've, I've been lucky enough. I've read the, uh, toxicology report for your grandma and mate she went out swinging
1: Well, actually, you know what? I know that you were making a joke there, but you're not actually wrong. Because <laughs> She was she was a bit of a, she was not a yeah, hard living woman in regard to, you know, drugs or alcohol. But for about the last three weeks of her life, she was on a, a, enough morph- morphine that maybe even <laughs> Keith Richards would have come in and gone, whoa. You, know, you, don't, you don't just want a Diet Coke?
0: <laughs> <laughs> Look, the thing that's, the other interesting thing, you talk about the closure and the, the mental health thing. The other thing I think is going to be fascinating about this, because it has been such a societal everyone locking down, the implications this is going to have going on for working from home, Mm -hmm. the way people engage with work, the delivery of education. I've seen my kids move to this online education model. The Australian university sector is changed forever and in a way that financially you're not even guaranteed it's going to pull through uh, with international student numbers and their income and that sort of stuff. And those flow-on changes are going to be... You, you, you know, five years from now, you'll be living in a post-COVID world in that sense. The number of people who must have realised in the last couple of weeks, well, actually, I could do two days a week from home. and And the number of bosses who've realised Jen can work from home, Peter can work from home, Simon needs the supervision of a four-year-old, I can't trust him out of the office or whatever... Yeah, that sort of stuff, I think, is, is those sort of deep societal changes, um, I, I, I think they will be fascinating to look back on.
1: I mean, if something like this had happened previous to the, the massive discussion around the NBN and then how badly the rollout yeah. of the NBN has been handled... You'd imagine that we, because like, I think right now everybody understands what it would be, how important and valuable it would be that we had this national, you know, network that meant that everybody could work from home. Because you can completely change the composition of cities and societies. Yeah. I mean, not just the idea that you know Jan can work from home from two days, a, two days a week, but Jan's not stuck in morning traffic, or <laughs> you can sh- you can shift it so that like you have an office that seats ten people and you have thirty people working for you, and they just come in two days a week each on. Yeah. Some sort of roster. Yeah. I'm sure the maths of that just made you very mad. Yeah. But you don't know how many days a week they work. <laughs> yeah, we can talk about. We'll talk about
0: that later. But I, I, I understand the general point you're making. It might need a bit of massaging. Um, and, and yeah, that sort of stuff. That's going to be amazing. That's going to be really, really interesting.
1: Yeah, and I think that we've obviously seen the the short term environmental effect mm. that it's had. You know, by just putting a pause on all this industry immediately, you can see how the planet has responded immediately. And so perhaps you know that comes into our thinking around the conversations we're still going to have to have about climate change. Because while we're not having that conversation right now, where we've we've got to go straight back to having it as soon as we stop talking about this. <laughs>
0: The other thing that is truly impressive is that even when the entire world is locked down and there is no interaction and no work and no competitive sport is taking place whatsoever, even then, footballers of various codes can embroil themselves in <laughs> scandal. That, that, I mean, those rugby league players, that is so impressive. To, <laughs> not just... Not just have a little party when you're not meant to and get busted, then come out and deny it, and then you're taken down by a series of TikTok videos.
1: I mean, it is... So it is the app of our time. It oh. is the coronavirus app. You talk about the COVID app being the government app. Oh. No, the app is TikTok. <laughs> this has been, TikTok has been TikToking along for a while. Yeah. You know, young people have been into TikTok, but oh, we needed a stay at home pandemic for, t- for AFL coaches to be TikToking.
0: <laughs> Let me pivot. I'll tell you, I'll share with you, and I'm sharing this publicly for the very first time uh, in terms of uh, apps and socializing. Mm-hmm. So, as we record this, I am uh, coming up towards my 72 hour mark uh, on uh, the dating app Bumble.
1: Okay. So, okay. So, there's so many things that I need to talk about now. (laughs) Uh, Where do we even start? Okay. So, firstly, um, dating in the time of a pandemic is, you know, interesting enough in itself. So like did why like, is this your first dip in like dip your toe in the water of dating in the time of a pandemic?
0: Yeah, yes, yeah, so and and, and and yeah, and it's certainly um I mean I had a few parties with some NRL guys, but mm. not Yeah, of not course, serious. It's <laughs> it's, my, it's my first time ever with social media dating. So I met yep. my now ex-wife in 2003. And if I remember back to 2003, you know how with all of your technology... And I think think about who the early adopters are, right? Think about your first friend who had a seriously big-screen TV back when they were fifteen, twenty thousand 20,000 bucks and they were saying one day they'll come down to 10 grand or whatever. Think about the first person you knew who, was, who, who regularly emailed. Think about the first person you knew who owned a mobile phone back when they were brick-like, right? Amazing people, really adventurous early adopters disproportionately some of them socially a little bit awkward yeah so
1: back yep. back,
0: when, <laughs> back back when i first heard about internet dating and when i pretty much got off the dating scene from 2003 through to you know 2015 if you were internet da- if you were using a computer to try and get a girlfriend or a boyfriend it was pretty much an acknowledgement that you couldn't do it without one and you were tapping out and it was your last resort and it was it was there was a stigma to it and it was a really awkward thing to admit you were more sort of you were outed as internet dating rather than proudly saying that's how we met or anything like that
1: Yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you from a standup sense because you can actually chart it in when you're talking to people in the room and they say, you know, you're a couple, where'd you meet? You always ask that if you're doing a bit of crowd work. And there was just a time when it went from, if somebody said, oh, we met like online, we're computer dating or they named like, okay, Cupid or, you know, plenty more fish or whatever it was. Um, it would get a laugh in the room. Yeah. And then the laugh would diminish over the years through to the point where not one person would laugh because, of course, everybody's meeting online now. So I met when I
0: moved to my second radio gig, we finished in 04. I took a year off. I started on the ABC in Sydney in 2006 and realised then that all my producers, uh, my two producers who were in that sort of late 20s, early 30s age, were both actively internet dating and it was just the standard thing. Now, then when my marriage you know, falls apart in 2015, uh, there's a period of just a you know, mess and all that sort of stuff. But by then when a couple of years ago when I started to think about what I do internet dating, the main things I knew were things like Tinder and that sort of thing. And my mm. my, my hesitancy there was more than anything, I wouldn't want my kids to find out, you know, no. if, someone's, if someone's, if one of their best friend's mum's, or whatever, you know, sent a screen snapshot of, is this your dad on Tinder? And from what I understand now, and I haven't interacted with that app, Tinder's become a little bit more sophisticated, and there are parts of Tinder which are just, I need it in the next 20 minutes, please. There are parts that are more communities of looking for commitment or whatever, but it just carries such a sort of stigma, I wouldn't want that. But I was talking to a friend of mine, and she mentioned the whole Bumble thing, and it, the, the, if people who don't know, the thing there is if you, if two people swipe and, and, and you know, express an interest in each other, the woman then has to make the first move to initiate a conversation, and once the conversation starts, you have to make one more move within 24 hours, or so. So in theory, it's a space where the women uh, it, it, there's a little bit less, I think, of women feeling set upon, and 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 yeah. Uh, you know, well, it bombed. was it
1: was set, it was set, it was set up for that reason. Yeah. It was started by one of the people who had previously worked at. Uh, Tinder yeah. who wanted a female-focused, you know, an, an app where, you know, women weren't sort of dealing with the the amount of, um, you know, unsolicited male attention that they were probably getting on some of the other apps or yeah. just general social media or yeah. walking to the shops or yeah. pretty much, you know, any aspect of their lives. Yeah. So, if, if, I mean, um, if you're all like,
0: saying dick pics, I think we're talking dick pics.
1: Yeah. But not just dick pics, I think, is probably the worst of it, right? So, yeah, putting the ball back in their court a little bit and giving them more of the control in that situation. And I would suggest perhaps, and maybe this is not something that you've thought of, but I imagine as somebody who, at least to some people, will be well-known or they will know who you are, Mm. putting the power balance back a bit in their favour is probably good in that regard as well because it equalises it out a little bit. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, and that was the other – my concern whenever I'd thought about even doing this was, you know, I'm not not suggesting I'm anything more than a middle to lower C-grade celebrity, but the thought of having a recognisable face was something that made me wary about this sort of stuff anyway. The first three or four responses I got from anyone on this app were, okay, so you're not really Adam Spencer, who are you? And to, mm-hmm. to which my response was, well, look, if I was going to do some sort of weird identity fishing exercise on social media, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't pretend to be me. Like there are... No,
1: there, but that's the secret. Ah, that's, that's how you get them. The double-double cross. Saw, it's clever. Yeah, exactly. I've been,
0: I'm playing a long game here where I've been pretending to be me myself for about 20 years mm-hmm. now. I will tell you yeah. one thing. <laughs> That, so <laughs> for any other people who are thinking of going on the app and it's a great experience a, a word of warning so you I, I i've i've had a couple of uh, my uh, female friends really close friends have sort of helped me hmm. with this sort of curated my page and all that Yeah, and, great. Uh, and and in the early days a couple of times and what
1: was their advice
0: well they, they a couple of times they've also hopped on with my login and just checked it all out and said you look she looks like a normal person or whatever but um, okay. In terms of choosing your photos and image and all that sort of stuff, so the first thing I did was I just, I just set up a page and mm-hmm. just in the sort of beta mode and just threw a few photos on and, 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 and just to fill out, just to fill out the photo page section to move on to the next mm-hmm. bit. And there's a big thing on the front thing that says verify your account. So I presume you sort of set up your page, you answer all your questions, once you're happy boom, then you verify your account and it gets uploaded and blah, blah. Now, it turns out that as soon as you set up the page and give yourself a password or whatever, actually it goes live. So the first totally draft thing I set up, purely as a few holding pattern things for my mate to then go, (laughs) and okay, I do this and that, I'd literally just taken the last... Uh, there's room for up to six photos. I'd literally taken uh-huh. the last six photos of me in my phone and just posted them there because I <laughs> wanted to see how many photos you could put and and right. how how they then arrange them and do I need to blah blah uh-huh. uh, yeah. that now that went live um, uh, I've lost a lot of weight I since lockdown I've lost uh, 18 kilos. And really, just overhauled my body and got really fit again. I'm in the best shape I've been for like 25 years. I'm in.
1: R- so, how how just before we move back to yeah. the other thing, let's talk about that for a second. How did you do that? How have it's, you done it's, that?
0: It's all diet. Any weight loss is all diet. Exercise helps and and can make you fitter and have a better body to get to, but shifting weight is purely diet. I did it at the beginning of last year with uh, uh, one of those meal replacement things um and the brand was be fit food but i think there's a lot of them out there and they they work if you stick to them i lost a lot of weight at the beginning of last year but i was just chasing a number i emaciated myself got there but that sort of weight loss where people were saying oh mate are you a, are you a bit sick mm. are you all right yeah. sort of thing <laughs> and then yeah
1: you look good yeah are you dying? Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. Look, I'm really happy. That, 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 that's a nice <laughs> pair of jeans. Have you got liver cancer? Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the um, – and, and apropos the Bumble app and all that, early last mm. year, my private life took a pretty savage bump and I just chose subconsciously to damage myself by putting all the weight back on with booze and chips and all that sort of stuff and went about it again at the beginning of this year. Having known in the past if I show discipline with the food, it will work, but let's go about this properly. And what's been different this time, for the first time in my life, I'm going to the gym every second or third day or now at home, I'm lifting some weights and I'm not pretending for a second that I'm, you know, rigged up, but I've actually got this, when you get a bit older, low weights, heaps of reps. Just, I've got a feeling of just a little bit of a sort of structure and frame on myself and I feel fantastic and I've been showing a couple of my friends, just probably, look, I've lost some weight. This So one of the six photos, one of the most recent photos, of a friend of mine who I'd said I'd lost a lot of weight, they said, show me. So I was at the beach and I just held the phone out and took a photo of myself to show that I'd lost, you know, 20, almost 20 kilos. Uh, that was one of the photos I put in the just random six photos to set up the pattern for a page that I didn't think I'd even launched yet on Bumble. So the first rogue Adam Spencer page that was up for about 12 hours before uh-huh. I realised I was getting some responses from people, how's that happening? I didn't think I was on this platform yet. Uh, I'm really flattered that anyone would choose to reach out to the person who posted those first <laughs> six dummy photos I'd posted. Oh, my Lord. So that's my warning. Um, you're on from the moment you What do you have
1: to... What do you have to provide in in regard to descriptions, those sort of things? Like, what's your what is your kind of like page? What information are you putting out there before you're talking to somebody?
0: So they offer a list of questions. You choose mm. to answer any of them. You can literally just post a photo of yourself. I think you probably mm. have to put your name and age, but you could literally just put Adam Fifty One. Mm. You can say your occupation at that stage if you want. But then there's a series of about ten or twelve questions. Height. Uh, they don't ask weight, but height. Uh, star sign, kids, don't have any, have them, don't want any more, blah, blah, blah. You choose any, are uh, you religious, spiritual, uh, hobbies, uh, yeah. Uh, you choose any or all of those to answer. That's up to you. And then when you post photos, you can put little comment. You, there are questions you can, you know, what, Netflix or uh, 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 dinner. And you can post some of those and <clears throat> put your answer to those too if you want. One thing I was talking to someone about with these things, and I've never understood this, I can understand you take a bit of creative licence. with. Realistically, I'm sure some of the photos people have posted have had a bit of touching up. My photos are all pretty much as they're taken, but I've chosen photos where I think I look reasonably good or whatever. Mm. You might uh, overstate certain aspects of yourself. I even understand why some people trim a couple of years off the age, I've put 51. I'm sure if I put 49, there's a lot of people who just put a barrier at 50 and I'd be seeing a lot more people, or whatever. Uh, some people put their age as a certain thing and within their blurb underneath actually, and say, actually, I'm 47. Just said 43 to catch your attention, blah, blah, blah. Guys who lie about their height. I've never understood... Like, there's... It, it, you can... There are so many other things you could fib about and either get away with or gently broach the topic a little while in, look, I know I said 49, I did actually have my 50th birthday last year, I just, yeah blah. Or, look, I know I said I'm agnostic. Look, I'm, I'm probably actually more of an atheist, to be honest, but how you can say to someone, look, this is going really well, Um, I know I said I'm six foot and I'm clearly five foot seven, I'm going to work really hard on being six foot by the end of the year. If you just commit to this relationship,
1: guys, don't lie about your height. What? There's just no point. Well, it is one of those things that it's going to be tough to fake. Yeah, it's going to be tough. To, you're just going to have to get some, look. Can you can you stand downhill from me? Yeah. in any situation. Yeah, yeah,
0: and I and I I accept that you you may well have chosen a photo where when I meet you. Sure. You you might be a couple of kilos heavier than I would have guessed if I'd seen the photo, and I don't really care. But the, the whole, like, I'm sure I can fake being five foot seven. I'll just, I'll just really give off a vibe that I'm six foot two. It's just not going to happen, lads.
1: Although it is uh, like it is hard on like because there is that really ingrained thing in our mm. society where like you know women. Well, traditionally, I think preferred, but I think it was probably a societal sort of... One of those things where you don't know where it actually started. It was like men were taller than the women yeah. that they were with, right? And it, it became so important. I remember at high school in year eight being asked to the dead ball, which was in year 11, because the women got to ask, you know, the, the men and you weren't really meant to say no. If somebody asked you the convention was that you would say yes. And I got asked in year eight because I was tall in year eight and somebody was <laughs> thinking about their dancing <laughs> photos in year 11 and just wanted to lock in somebody who was a certainty to be taller than them. Yeah, and
0: Al- albeit someone who'd have to go home at eight thirty to get to bed.
1: My um, my sister's husband is shorter than her, yeah. and I I know the comments that uh- they get, and you know, like at, at the wedding, and whether she can wear heels and not flats, and all these sort of things. And so, there is a small part of me that understands from the short guy's point of view, where there might be this like five foot nine guy going. I'm a great guy and I look in any other way I am the guy that I've read your description and I know that I am the guy that would be perfect for you but it's going to be that three fucking inches that I can't do anything about that is going to mean that you're not going to click on my profile and give me a go.
0: And I should disclose at this point of the conversation I am exactly five foot nine. So thanks Will, that was really (laughs) very empowering (laughs) moment there. (laughs)
1: <laughs> but five nine, you've got most covered. You know, I, you're only I, really you're putting no, your, your, some some basketballers and netballers. You're not going to yeah, get around. But then I, five no, nine, I, you,
0: I am I am to the millimetre hmm. average male height. I'm yep. five foot i no, I'm not tall. I'm not short in a height sense. I I simply exist. <laughs>
1: Um, okay, so in regard to then when you're on one of these apps, I'm very fascinated by um, how are you choosing? Because I would imagine that how are you hoping people are choosing you? What do you hope they respond to, and what are you kind of responding to in other people?
0: Yeah, it's interesting because <clears throat> you the the way this works. Uh, so you just you swipe left or right for people you're interested in. Uh, it's 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 really hard. To um, get a vibe from what's just put there, some people let a bit of personality shine through with a couple of smart arsey. I, I like, I really like someone who's confident enough to say something, either at their own expense or takes a bit of a position. You know, just has a bit of spark and passion to it, even if it's something you might not agree with. Someone who's comfortable enough to badge themselves with, well, this is what I am about. That's always appealed to me. It's interesting when you you so the way it works then is if I've if I've swiped someone. And, they've, and, and, and then it turns out they've swiped me as well, that comes up in the top of my page as a, a, above all the people I'm now in communication with, there's a row along the top of people where we have both swiped. And that woman's face comes up with a yellow circle around it that starts counting down because once she's been alerted to yeah, you and this guy have both swiped, she's got 24 hours to then go, okay, I'll say hi to him That's her making the first move. I can't at that stage go, wow, that's awesome. We both like each other. Let's chat. She's got to make the first move. She's only got 24 hours to do that, Mm -hmm. which is a brilliant piece of marketing on the app's part because you have to check the app every day so you don't miss it. But for someone who three days ago had never been part of this, it is so weird to look up the top there. I can then at that stage, I can buzz on her and remind myself who it is and all that sort of stuff. And, but to then know for the next 24 hours, in theory, that person is sitting in judgment of you and yeah. deciding whether they will initiate contact is the weirdest thing in the world. And there's actually a feature where you can, only a limited number of times, you can't do it to everyone, but if someone's up there, I can boost that 24 hours by another 20, I can give it a second day. I, right. can, I, can, I can broaden the window, which gets communicated back to her. Mm-hmm. I think I think if she's got a series of people she's considering, I then get moved to the front of the line and told that there's an extra. So it's sort of my way of saying to her, I'd really like you to consider, mm-hmm. you know, this, this could be great. So then you're asking yourself these weird mm-hmm. questions of, well, does that make me look awesome and saying, look, I'd really like to take you up? Mm-hmm. Or am I managing to make myself look desperate with someone I've never met before, in an online, and it it the amount to which that messes with your psyche is really interesting. And you and you're suddenly looking at this person going, "Come on, I don't look. I don't care if we don't get on once you. But you've got to at least give me a chance to not impress you with well, my communication." Well,
1: well, because that's what you've done basically at that point is because it's almost more cruel. Because I didn't realize this in a yeah. way because you have matched. But yes. now now you're on trial for yeah. 24 hours yeah. to see if, and you're like, well, I like the look of you and the sound of you. You've clearly liked the look of me and the sound of me, but now you've got 24 hours to really think about it, which is probably yeah. for most people, a good cooling off period to think about things would be better making a lot of decisions in your life. but. Yep. But there's a bit of you who's gone, oh, well, okay, what's great. They're interested in me. I was interested in them. I am actually – that was the person I was most interested in of all the people that I swiped on, to be honest, and I'm really excited that they matched with me. I don't want them to think they were just one of the many people that I swiped on. By putting this extra 24 hours, I could go, no, 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 this is me being really serious about you or – uh, it could be like that time that uh, you were ringing that person and uh, you didn't realise it was registering that you were ringing them 42 times to remember that. You, you remember that story.
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's share this. This is a great story. This is years ago. We, I was down in Adelaide and this is the early days of mobile phones and I'd met a girl the night before at this uh, event and she was just lovely and we had got on like a house on fire and she'd given me her phone number and I thought that's awesome but the next day I was flying out at like three in the afternoon or something. We had a real time limit so uh, if we didn't catch up and say hi by about one in the afternoon, uh, we weren't going to, you know, and uh, and she'd given me the number and said, look, give me a call tomorrow and we'll catch up, that would be great. So I was in my hotel, and I think the test... It might have been test cricket season or something. I'm just I'm just mm-hmm. watching the cricket. Um, so I'm pretty chilled. And on my hotel phone, hotel room phone, I rang her mobile number. And it rang a few times, went through to her voicemail, and no, so I left a mesh, hung up. Um, and I thought, well, I'll... Well, I'm just watching the cricket, and I'm really keen to try and... She probably hasn't even turned her phone on yet. So just every few minutes, I just hit redial on the hotel phone and it rang a few times and if it went through to a voicemail or whatever, I just hung up, watching the cricket, end of the over, end of the next over, hit redial again and I watched the cricket and I was probably watching the cricket from about 10 in the morning till 1, 1.30, uh and then headed out to the airport and left and it was such early days in mobile phones that I didn't know that if you called someone and hung up. And you might you might turn your phone on eventually and have three missed calls, or five missed calls, or in her case, forty two missed calls from my hotel room in the space of three and a half hours. And you'll never believe this, um, but it, it
1: never quite worked out with her. Didn't didn't take it as a compliment. Didn't take so, it as okay. an intention. You were interested in her.
0: So now you've got. And that I must admit yeah. that that's that's partly me not understanding mobile phones, but. I have had I have had very direct feedback from the women in my life in the past. The whole sort of delayed gratification, hey, let's just chill out and wait a few minutes, has never been a big part of my mm. skill set. And so now, I, yeah, I'm that, I, th- I think that gives an insight into I'm not the great guy to know that for the next 24 hours, I've got to wait and see if you're going to choose to make contact with me. Or if I hit this blue button, I go up the order, but I get to double the length of time... That I will sit there stressing out, wondering if you're even going to bother to contact me.
1: Well, and also you've emotionally invested yourself even more in it then, because yep. that second twenty four hours is the one where you've gone. Well, I've gone, I've gone all in. I've got to get, yeah. I've got, I've got to get a couple of aces on the flop to make me go, because this is my kids' college money.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, but yeah, I like, but I like you to rip my heart out in the next yep. twenty four hours with a fairly clean surgical removal. Mm. Would I like to give you 48 hours to just slowly drill your finger through my breastplate and extract little chunks of heart one at a time?
1: Surely there's a mathematical way of you looking at this though, right? There's got to be some sort of mathematical sense that, you know, there's only so many times you can do this. What's the value proposition and who you do it for and what position you do it?
0: Mate, it's it's clearly a Gaussian distribution curve, but I just need her well, to make some contact I was going to say that, back. but
1: I just didn't want you to. bring... I wanted you to bring it up, so you didn't feel. I just dumb. need her. To,
0: I just need yeah. her to contact me, so we can start talking about Gaussian distribution curves. Because once we do that, mate, I am in, <laughs> guaranteed.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, did we get a wind up? Then is that what I, I saw? Uh, you get?
0: no, that was the lovely Alex going out to get me a glass of water. Though oh, I don't okay. know how much more ground nice. there is to cover. I'm happy to. I'm, let's be honest. This has adopted considerably more the format of one of your podcasts than mine
1: Mate, this is yeah no this is definitely my podcast there is absolutely no <laughs> doubt I have been interviewing you and not the other way around it, it, it happened organically though and that, yeah. that that's what's important okay so um isolation time let's let's finish up on this because I am I- interested in talking about this while we're in the middle of it um mm. it, how does it change the world? How do you hope it changes the world? And what are your fears around what could be the negative benefits of how it changes the world?
0: There's there's so many parts of that. So I won't suggest for a second my answer is complete. It's it's been really interesting watching uh, scientists take centre stage again and, and seeing politicians with varying degrees of success or willingness adopt the mantra of scientists around the world, and you compare, uh, and whether you're, whether you're a massive fan of Donald Trump or whether you don't think he's the most appropriate person to be uh, leading the United States, when you see him freeforming about injecting disinfectant and things like that, uh, in, in rambling two-hour press conferences where the medicos are making, at best, minor contributions, I find that bizarre and really scary. When you look at the role that the medical expertise has taken in Australia, I've, I've found that really heartening. You made the comparison with with uh, climate change before, and I think this has been a part of the journey of discovery for the Prime Minister, to be honest. In the past, both individually and from a political party that hasn't always elevated scientific consensus uh, to the front of their decision-making sort of matrix, it's been fascinating to see the role that that's taken on. The deeper things about will we be will we love each other more and be respectful? And people have asked, are we going to be less materialistic and realise there's a limit on how much you need? I'd be really pleasantly surprised if we move significantly in that direction. I just don't. I don't. I. I don't have any faith that that humanity will. You know, what do what do you think on that one? Because some people say that, you know, this will just make people realise. The most important thing in the world is just to sit on the couch with your kids and read a book. You don't need to go on holidays and things like that. I, I haven't, I haven't been sold on that one.
1: I think it might have individuals think that, and I think that's probably mm. the only hope that it does have is that there will be individuals who realise that the system that they were caught up in is actually not beneficial to them personally, that there is another way they could live their life that would make them a lot happier than what they are. Is it going to bring down the system itself? I would say absolutely not. In fact, the system is doing everything it can possibly do to go back to normal as quickly as possible so that people don't change the system substantially. But I think there will be absolutely individuals within the system who go, hey, you know, the the, the Lily Tomlin joke that I always bring up, but I think it's one of the great all-time jokes, which is, you know, the problem with the rat race is even if you win you're still a rat. I think there's some Mm. people who have been caught up in the rat race who will understand that they don't want to be anymore, but I don't think it's going to be the end of the rat race would be my suggestion.
0: And even the way that people go around racing, I think the most interesting stuff, the most interesting changes, as we've already touched on, will be in not, not that people won't work anymore and not that you'll have a universal basic income that will replace blah, blah, and I'm not opposed to that as a side note, but the way people choose to go about their work and the way people try and balance interacting with... I mean, homeschooling's a total challenge for some people. I quite like it, uh, but the... Uh,
1: you've been giving your kids compulsory homework for many years, so it <gasps> wasn't a real big change. In fact, no. it was the first time it was actually legislated by the schools. <laughs>
0: Yeah, well, now, now that now that Ellie and Olivia have both signed, my homework pocket money accord, which is a brave, <laughs> a brave new bargaining moment uh, in the Australian industrial relations landscape. Ten dollars now for Matt's homework. Let's go. Um, <laughs> I, I think that sort of stuff's going to be that's going to be where the really interesting post-COVID compared to pre-COVID world could be seen. Because I remember when we used to do breakfast radio, and and especially on ABC Sydney, the number of times you'd <laughs> you know, four times a year you'd throw to Vic LaRusso in the Australian Traffic Network helicopter and Vic would say, well, it's the first day of school holidays today, Adam, so the roads are absolutely fine, nothing to report here back to you. Mm. And now all the analysis is that uh, first day of school holidays, it's not like there's only half the cars on the road. The best guess is 10 to 15% less and that's all you need for everything to flow beautifully. But these systems are ridiculously designed around getting millions of people into the CBD in a 5-minute window between 8:57 and 9:02. And that's why you're building multi-billion dollar traffic busting networks in Sydney that will simply fill up again as soon as they're built. And it's and it's it's a ludicrous situation. And if even if 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 a quarter of the workforce started reasonably regularly working from home, or adjusting their hours with a bit of work from home, it could be a complete game changer.
1: Well, people could then live where you live. People could live in Newcastle. People could Mm. live in Geelong. And so suddenly that... Problem of housing affordability. Well, I mean, it it spreads it out a little. Basically, what it yeah. is, what it actually does, because the prices will go up a little in those other places. But um, you know, the big idea of not being able to afford to live in the city that you work in isn't so much of an issue if you have high speed broadband and you have the capacity for people to you know work from home and live in different places.
0: And the thing is, and I'm lucky. I mean, you and I are both lucky in the in or in the sense of yeah, you know, we've had very we, we've had employment careers and various sort of bespoke boutique careers where we've chosen what we do and we're sort of in control of it all. I've never really worked a 40-hour-a-week job. And I know that 40 hours is more than 40 hours and all that. But I've always thought if I, had a, if I had a relationship with an employer where they were saying to me, I want 40 hours a week, I want five days, eight hours. The first thing I would say to that person is, mate, I'll give you 40. I'm not doing five eights, I'm doing four tens. I'll work from 8am till 6pm and I'm not working Wednesdays. I'm automatically not driving a tra- through peak hour traffic each way. I'm taking a day off when I just get shit done that I'd normally have to do on the weekend when I'd rather be kicking a footy with my kids. When I'm doing that stuff, there's one-tenth of the people in the supermarket or in the queue at Service New South Wales, or at the mechanics, Or so I get it all done quicker. I'm the most productive mofo in this place on Thursday because I've just had a mini-weekend. Now, obviously, if the pla- if the building's on fire, give me a call on Wednesday. We can sort it out. But let me do and just flick that. And and this is all just the mathematician in me, in terms of, the th- and you you've known me long enough to know the thing that riles me most is just inefficient systems. Just looking at something going, why is that not done numerically? We've we've spoken before about the way they load people onto aeroplanes. It just drives me. I, I can't watch it happen, sitting in twenty two C. And and the person in front of you in 21C, and then along comes someone going, oh excuse me, I'm in 21B. Both get up, boom, sit down. A few minutes later, <laughs> you'll never believe this. I'm in 21A. <laughs> up, up, down, down, up, down. Just they should they they they. they. They should well, stand there and go, Adam. This is pull. one of the
1: things that COVID might bring to the world because they did that, is actually how they have started loading planes in a lot of places because yeah. of the risk of, you know, trying to cut down the risk of infection at the moment. So they are actually loading people in logical order.
0: Oh, thank God. Yeah, just <laughs> We're about to fly to Melbourne. If you've got a window seat, get on. Everyone else, fucking calm down for a minute. We're not leaving without you. Yeah, you know, that's that 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 sort of stuff is where I I would be fascinated if we moved, if we approached the whole concept of how we get to work and where we work differently.
1: I mean, I've amazed that you spoke about you know the local community and supporting businesses in your local mm. community, and I'm living in a small community now as well. And one, there is one place near where I live in this small sort of town of seven hundred people where is available for takeaway. Just one, but it Mm. turns out it's it's a really brilliant little restaurant that at the moment can't be a restaurant, so they are doing breakfast, uh, lunch and dinner as, you know, takeaway options, order ahead and come and pick it up. And we've been doing that, you know, reasonably regularly in between, you know, cooking at home and those sort of things, partly just to break up cooking at home three meals a day, which suddenly becomes a lot of meals a day, Mm -hmm. but also... Um, to support that local business, to be able to stay open and to be able to be there when we come out of the end of this. And you start to think about those things, which you're always doing when you shop at that local Mm. business. You're always supporting them so that they can pay their staff and keep their doors open, but you don't make that connection yeah. Between what you're doing and and I think there's a lot more people going who, who might have ordered all Uber Eats, for example, in the past and not really thought about the connection really between it being a restaurant and employing people and shopping locally and these sort of things who are suddenly going, oh, this local restaurant near me is doing takeaways during this time, so I am going to buy from there, which – just makes us think a little bit more about, yeah. you know, community and sense of community and what it is that you're actually doing when you buy something from somewhere and what that actually means.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's absolutely true and I think people have just stopped and, and, and spoken to each other a bit more about uh, do you have a job at the moment, how you're going financially and there's people are a lot more open now talking to people about, yeah, actually things are really hard or I could do with a bit of help or whatever. And there's one of my daughter's best mates, Families are, you know, they're struggling on the employment front. So when we go and buy pizzas from the local place, I just get a pizza and, yeah, invite them over or give it to them or whatever. And, and people are starting to see that where we are. There's the pizza place is going great. There's another place that only opened in January, and I think they're going to get by, but they're just hanging on. And I'm every neighbor of mine I say I to say, mate, once a week, just go and grab something from it. Just go and get, and the food's really good. Just go and get one little thing. And you're right, people are getting that sense of connectivity and, and, and how we all. You know, uh, 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 you know, to use that cliche, in it, in it together, in this sense. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree entirely.
1: Uh, all right, and Well, it's been nice to have you on my podcast.
0: Our podcast.
1: <laughs> uh, do you have any questions you want to ask me? Because I've asked you questions for 70 minutes and we have to wrap it up. But is there anything that you want to ask me before we go, just out of the interest of balance?
0: Yeah, I'm just lifting my shirt up at the moment. This is actually quite a reasonable rack I've got these days. I
1: mean, mate, I'd put that photo back on. I'd put it back on Bumble (laughs) as far as I'm concerned.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's been lovely catching up, mate. Stay safe.
1: You too, mate. And what can we plug? Your books?
0: Uh, Adamspencer.com.au if you want 20% off any of my maths books. Use the promo code HOME, H-O-M-E. One thing I have been doing, which is really cute, I started tweeting out uh, cryptic crossword. Uh, oh, yes. Clues with some hints on how to do them because I I love my cryptic crossword nerdery and a lot of people sort of have looked at them and not understand them. So I'll put the clue out there and then break down, look, you need to do this, this, that. And there's been this gorgeous little online community that have sprung up around these clues and going, oh, yeah, first cryptic crossword clue I ever got, mate. Thanks so much. And I got a lovely one from someone the other day who said they can sit down with their mum now and do the cryptic crossword. Thanks to these little nerdy clues I've been putting out over
1: Twitter. See, that's good. See, good things are coming out of this, Adam.
0: Oh, I think well, I think if in the, if in the post-COVID world we're all a little bit better at crypto crosswords, and I've got a bit of heat off Bumble. Then I mean, I think it's a, it's a good thing.
1: Well, if just those two worlds can intersect, then you'll be <laughs> then you'll be very happy. That's <laughs> I mean, it's going to narrow almost... down your Bumble searches, I imagine. But sure. But you know that's okay. Maybe you could do it as a like you should have put your bio together as a bit of a cryptic crossword. I mean, it's yeah, going to really specifically appeal to the right person, but yeah. <laughs> but maybe not to everybody else.
0: Yeah. Would you like a brackets four comma three? Yeah. Dick pic. Obviously.
1: <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, Adam. Thank you very much.
0: Wonderful as always to catch up, mate. This episode of The Big Questions, as always, was produced and edited by Alex Mitchell in the Podcast One Studios. Series producer Caroline Pegram and the theme music provided by the good people at Uncanny Valley. If you want to hear more big questions answered, go to podcastone.com.au or download the Podcast One app or look us up on iTunes. I'm Adam Spencer. I'll be back with some more Big Questions soon. Big Questions. Big Questions.